Hello, and welcome to Stuff We've Seen. This is Jim. With me, as always, is Mr. Identity Politics, Teal. <laughs> How's it going, buddy? I, I Using the buzzword of Tommy Tuberville. Yeah, I don't, I still, I, I, I still don't quite, I, I guess I identify as uh, a politician i don't know uh i I don't know what it means uh i i i'm hoping maybe through uh some soul searching i can figure out what identity politics is all about but i'll tell you right now i'm all about it of course yes (laughs) i think that tommy tuberville doesn't know what it means either but he was told to say that because that is the new catch-all defense anytime a republican doesn't like being called out on what they are they just say Stop using identity politics, you know. So yep. white nationalist now is identity <laughs> politics. Racist <laughs> is identity politics. Um, you know, anti-women's choice is identity politics. Yes, I guess so. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, so anyways, that's not where we're here to talk about. Uh, a couple things. Yeah. I, I live in Vermont. Um, hey, it's it's topically timely because we were just flooded out. <laughs> you, you are on the front page of every paper. Yeah, but you know, it is funny because when you live in the state and you see all the local news and you know where all the flooding was and everything, um, you know, you know all the areas. I was lucky. Uh, geographically, our area did not get hit. I did not get flooded out. And the routes that I needed to take in the last couple of days, I was able to take. Um, if I lived a little bit further east, forget about it. But okay. I watched the national news last night because I wanted to see how you know, yeah. it, did it make it. And man, they made it seem like the whole state was underwater. <laughs> and it was like, it was all about the devastation. And if they could get somebody on there crying and yeah, I mean, it's a terrible thing. And there's a lot of people who've lost their homes and it's just, it sort of came out of nowhere. It was yeah. like, you know, it was one of these things where, oh, we're going to have some rain next week. And Right. And, and whereas with Irene, there was a little more warning. Well, no, it wasn't even that. There was actually, I think, a little less warning. The, oh. the problem was is that Irene happened very quickly, lots of gusts of wind, which, of course, then that knocks power out. Right. And a huge bunch of rain in a very short period of time. So that's what happened. Now, here, it was different. There were no, like, power lines down, uh, none of that type stuff, because there was, like, no wind. If you looked outside... It was just like a nice, steady rain. <laughs> you could drive through it. You wouldn't be able to like, I can't see out my windshield. No, it's, it was fine. The only problem is it just rained that way without a break for 48 hours. Right. That'll Yeah, that's a lot of water. <laughs> just kept, if you put like a cup out there, because people are like, well, how do these like streams get so full? We'll put a cup out there in a couple hours and you'll see, wow, that cup is full. <laughs> um, wow. And uh, so it was really, it was, it was kind of crazy, but um one the reason why i'm even mentioning that i, I have to tie this into movies right <laughs> I, I, I was waiting for the segue here yeah yeah well okay so i have to mention this is that everybody's you know favorite movie 35 years and running uh beetlejuice yes it's out of nowhere um they've been talking about a sequel for years but they could just never get the script right and tim burton was never happy and michael keaton the two of them i guess talked for years about this is something we want to do if we can get the right story right and suddenly they announced Beetlejuice 2 is happening. And, you know, you're kind of thinking, oh, it'll be studio somewhere and they'll shoot it in Europe and, uh, you know, they'll find some town like they did with Wednesday, right? Mm-hmm. Wednesday takes place in Vermont, but it's actually shot somewhere in like Bulgaria, I think. Of course. Right. So the funny thing is about the original Beetlejuice is the little 
town that the Maitlands lived in uh, took place in Connecticut. However, they shot the exteriors mm-hmm. in a little little town. And when I say little town, people don't understand. There are towns in Vermont that you can drive up the street and you can see like a few houses and you see like a few storefronts and that's the town. Yeah. And they found one of those towns and it's called uh, East uh, Corinth. And it is not a town that you can just get to on a major <laughs> right. route. Like uh, it's on the map. I think it's like 60 miles away from my house. It takes almost two hours to drive there. <laughs> it's okay. not an easy drive. Well, out of nowhere, we, we found out that they were going back to that town, rebuilding the house, everything. Because wow. that was like a, not a real house. Yeah. It was put on somebody's land. But the reason was because it actually sits on a hill that overlooks the little town. Right. And because the town's so small, everything they need to shoot there that you see in these exteriors that maybe make a, a little town look like a small town. Right. It really is. It's like everything is just across the street. It's 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 shocking. Um, but then they, you know, they redid the fronts and all this stuff. And of course, my wife heard about it, and we're like, they're going to start shooting it this week. And we took an opportunity over the weekend and drove there to see the the town redone to look like it did for the movies, except for updated for twenty twenty three. And it was very cool, uh, you know, just seeing them recreate things and it's going to be set at halloween time so they were decorating for that and right now as we speak they're shooting the movie and footage is already up that somebody took of jenny ortega all decked out in some kind of garb like riding a bike through the town oh wait she's in the movie yeah she plays uh lydia deed's daughter oh this movie's gonna be huge (laughs) oh this is cool okay yeah, I mean, yeah, and uh, Catherine O'Hara is back. Uh, Winona Ryder is back. Uh, of course, Michael Keaton is Beetlejuice, and um, Alec Baldwin. <laughs> no, you know what? Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis, unless there's something that's kept under wraps, they are not in it. And when Gina Davis was asked about it, she said, "Well, you know, we're ghosts, so we wouldn't be aging, and it might be kind of hard <laughs> to uh, to do that." And, that's uh, a good point. And then ILM's going, well, we've done such a great job with Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, you could have called us. Which then segues me nicely into the fact that I did see the latest Indiana Jones movie. Sorry. Because I was 11 years old when it came out, it changed my life, and I kept waiting for the glory and magic to happen in subsequent sequels, never quite got there. And then unfortunately, they went ahead and made The Crystal Skull, and now they've decided to go give it one last ride. And I didn't hate it, but I have to say that I think they should have left well enough. Mm -hmm. It just, it just didn't get me. And this huge, like 20 minute opening, A, I didn't find it exciting, uh, but B, it was just very distracting. You know, maybe it's good that this came out and that these people wanting to use all of this CGI technology, AI technology to like alter actors and make them, you know, young again. Right. Well, it doesn't look real. Sometimes it kind of looked fake. Like they try to sell us like in the ads for months that like, oh, you're going to be amazed. Well, I was amazed at the still that I saw. But then I watched the movie, and man, it just looked weird at times. And even worse is that 
yeah, you de-aged him visually 40 years, but his voice sounds like an 80-year-old man. Right. And what about his body? I mean, this was something I noticed in The Irishman is that De Niro did not walk like a young man. No. And you know what? Irishman, I mean, for all that money and all the extra time it took, the funny thing is, is that it didn't really de-aged because that's another problem we have the history we know what robert de niro looked right. like at those times and he didn't even look like that it was just weird no he looked like old robert de niro but with fewer wrinkles i was distracted by that and then of course they make this big mistake is that look i understand that ilm was using visual effects that were amazing in its day groundbreaking um some of them don't look as good now if you right. watch indiana jones just because you know raised lost ark was 40 some years ago but you still love just the ingenuity aspect absolutely and so much is practical too like that whole truck chase exactly now obviously you can't do a truck chase with an 80 year old man strapped underneath a car but none of the action pieces were exciting and you could you could just feel and sense that cgi enhancing yeah. these action scenes i tell you what spielberg gets his knocks but after i got home from the movie my oldest and i he'd never seen crystal skull we watched the first 40 minutes and while it didn't compel us to watch the whole movie <laughs> right parts of it really did feel way more like an indiana jones movie than this film did interesting okay so yeah i mean spielberg uh, uh took a nap on this one so i think uh, no no he didn't take a nap here's what i think happened he, the movie got originally that he just was never happy with the script. Right. So he didn't do it. And again, it's hard. It's like maybe the problem with Raiders of the Lost Ark, when it went for that sort of fantastical ending. Yeah. Then that became the thing that all of the other films had to have some kind of fantastic element, not really realizing that audience would still go along for a ride that didn't have a fantastical yeah. element. But they decided to do that every time. And I feel like it's been diminishing returns ever since. Right. And this one, it's weird. Because I knew we couldn't get away from the fantastical ending, what they did with it, I, I'm fine with. But at the same time, it also felt very much like a big CGI extravaganza right. that other movies do. And so I feel like, talk about identity politics, I feel like <laughs> Indiana Jones lost his identity somewhere along the way. And... I can understand why the movie is just kind of lackluster because most kids, they don't they don't care about Indiana Jones. Nobody went to see it. Well, that's not true. People have gone to see it. Just when you when this movie somehow cost three hundred million dollars to make, yeah, so many people have to see it for it to be a hit. Oh man, that's the, that's the bad news of films. But here's the good news: there are some interesting offerings out this summer. And some things that are hitting streaming and other things mm -hmm. that you could watch at home that I think are a great counterbalance to the big summer extravaganzas that never were this year. And I don't think we're going to spend any, really a lot of time on this, but uh, you and I both went to the theater and saw a film that actually has gotten pretty good reviews. And because the budget isn't huge, it's a relatively good success is Wes Anderson's Asteroid City. Oh, yeah. I, we hadn't talked about that on the show, but I, no. I, this is like my favorite Wes Anderson movie in a while. I don't know what it is. It struck me somehow. I'm not a big fan of Grand Budapest Hotel. I've seen it three times now. I like it, but I don't fall in love with it. And Asteroid City, I fell in love with a little bit more. 
that's interesting because I I love Grand Budapest Hotel. Yeah. It's, one, it's one of my favorite Andersons. Um, and a lot of the critics, that's sort of been this weird consensus. A lot of people are like, oh, you know, this is one of his best films in a long time. And it's, it's more layered than he usually is. And I have a problem with that because I, I think that when they think a long time, I think that they're thinking, well, maybe since Grand Budapest Hotel, because he's only made two films since. And one was Isle right. of Dogs, which I absolutely didn't like. Yeah. His only film I didn't like. And then the next live action one was The French Dispatch, which isn't really everyone's cup of tea type of film. Yeah. And it's it's not one of his best films, but there are some good parts to it. But when they say it's more layered and they say, well, there's a little bit of a melancholy aspect. I'm like, have you ever seen a Wes Anderson movie? Have you ever movie? seen a Wes Anderson <laughs> Exactly. Every single movie That's... deals with certain themes. <laughs> that said, I do think this movie uh, connects with the audience on an emotional level a little bit more than some of those other ones do. But why do you think that is? I'm curious. I think part of it is the kids. I, I think that it's similar to um, Moonrise Kingdom in that sense. And people love that one. Yeah, people love that one. There's something about the kids and the fact that the world that's created in Asteroid City is almost a uh, a childlike view of what's going on in this in this whole situation. But it's also then filtered through this playwright and there well the other thing is the entire movie is about grief. All the characters are grieving in one way or another. And so I I think there's something, I think the emotions were a little closer to the surface than, uh, than in some of his other films. And so it makes it more, I mean, like I saw it with my kids. They, my oldest daughter is now a huge Wes Anderson fan and is watching all his movies. Um, all her friends are into it too. Uh, and I get that because there's something really unique about these movies. Uh, but this one, this one I connected with, it, it clicked for me. I was smiling the whole time. I, I, uh, I felt sad. I just, I felt really connected to it. And I also feel like it is uh, speaking to us about our current times in, the, in a way that none of his other films have. It, you know, you can see this film as sort of a direct comment on COVID, if you want. There's a quarantine. But it, so I think it connects into the, I don't know, the zeitgeist a little bit more than some of his other films. If you're new to Wes Anderson, right? I, I think that can be exciting, too, because, you know, again, these critics, they all get into, they all seem to love his aesthetic and the way he can move his camera. Everyone's captivated about it, but at the same time, they knock him for it because they somehow yes. want this guy to do different things, which is, is crazy because one thing about a Wes Anderson movie, and it's very apparent in this Asteroid City, is there isn't a single filmmaker out there that could have made this movie exactly yes. the way he made it. He is really a true original, and when you see his films and then he does the same things, everybody gets, like, caught up. But, like, you know, we went and did that whole Godard thing, and then you see all of his things come over and over again. And Absolutely. He has a style, and I'm always charmed by it because with each film, there's, like, moments and there's, like, well, his costumes and set design become their own characters that then yes. live on beyond the film, and they become I iconic, and, you know, they just you enjoy them as part of the full collection of his movies. Yeah. There's a few moments in this. I can see becoming really iconic that I don't want to spoil. Yeah. We're not talking spoilers. No, 
I will say that this, uh, not that I've seen a bunch of summer movies, but this is definitely in my top for the year so far. I haven't started ranking things, but Asteroid City is way up there for me. You know, again, he works as the same cinematographer every single time. Yes. And they do things, this particular movie, that create a color palette that really is unlike anything that you see in films today. Completely, yeah. How they do that, though, this is what's great, is see, when you shoot on film, as this film did, but then you then you can take that film and then you put it into the computer and you can enhance right. and do things. Plus, you have a very specific color palette that you've designed with the sets and the costumes. It's like a sort of weird version of Technicolor. Yeah. And it's um, and it's really fun to look at and also listen to because his soundtrack is amazing in the movie too. The soundtrack is incredible. Yeah. So I, uh, again, saw this with my whole family. I highly recommend this movie to anyone who hasn't seen it yet. It's a great summer movie. Uh, it, it, and, you know, n not one of these failed blockbusters that we're seeing so many of Flash, Indiana Jones, uh, just one after another kind of bombing. And now, you know, on the on the train of good, I don't think we're going to have very much time to talk about this film because we have something else really planned for, for today. And I want to make sure we give full <laughs> full scope to that. But I do want to just give a mention maybe for people to search out. It's, I call it a hidden gem. It's one of my favorites. I think it's going to remain one of my favorites by the end of this year. We'll see. Yeah. Is And it's, again, it's great. I have an asteroid city I really love. There's this film that I saw. It's a um, Norwegian film called Sick of Myself. And Now, wait. Is that a 2022 film or a 2023 film? It's 2023. Now, maybe in, maybe over there it was 2022. Right, but right. I don't okay. think, but I, U.S. I think releases. Okay. Yeah, U.S. release. I'd heard about it in the winter time and i don't know i heard that critics seem to like it and i saw this poster for it an image of a woman all bandaged up looking at yeah. a cell phone with a cigarette and she looked like she was recovering and i thought oh maybe this is some kind of satirical take on plastic surgery or something that's all well, I it is a satirical take just it's not on <laughs> yeah. just not on plastic surgery now this is a thing i this is more of just like look your uncle jimmy here is given a recommendation. This is a film. It's a. I would say if it's. I found it hilarious. My wife found it hilarious. But in the darkest sense, it is a dark comedy. I mean, I'll warn people. You got to know that this is a dark comedy. You got to be willing to see despicable people do despicable things and find it funny, in order yes. to enjoy this film. If if that's not your thing, because uh, there's really no redemption in this movie for any of the characters. Everyone is awful. <laughs> and yeah, and that's sort of the point. It's oh, it's totally the point. That's where the humor is. That's what the. Uh, the satire is uh, you would mention this in, in one of our uh, off off air conversations that the movie reminded me of a triangle of sadness in a way. Exactly. It reminded you. And, and me, too. It, it, part of it is this couple has a similar opening scene to triangle of sadness. Yeah, you know, they, they are. That's, I guess, where I reminded it's just they took kind of the first chunk of Triangles of Sadness and they ran with it in a completely different direction. And they ran with it. In, but also, it's a short film. I think it's like 95 minutes and it is really intense and moves along. And uh, it, there are times where it's hard to watch because it's that kind of uncomfortable comedy. I loved it so much that for those reasons. You know, no, that's why I loved it too. But I'm just saying, some people I, I can imagine, you know, 
it can be very uncomfortable to watch people do <laughs> just on this downward spiral. I can't remember the last time I watched a movie that I didn't know much about it at all. Yeah. And the entire time, I really was like, I have no idea what's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. I really didn't know where this was ending. And uh, so I liked it. And I actually thought it stuck the landing pretty good. I definitely thought it stuck the landing. Yeah. Look for this film, Sick of Myself. If you like Triangle of Sadness, right? If you thought that was funny, if you got the humor in that, then you're definitely primed and ready for this one. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. But it is, it's definitely a specific kind of humor. This, uh, I'm not generally recommending this the way I am Asteroid City. I'm, I'm recommending <laughs> no, no, this. No, 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 no. <laughs> we can like different types of movies, and this is about as far from Asteroid City. Um, but. but yeah, I really enjoyed this movie. Uh, it's, a, it's a really fun watch. And it's also a narrative that we don't see very often, which is like a, a couple competing with each other. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because normally, right? Normally, you have you focus on one character, and it's and it's their significant other is just horrible, and you're like, why yes. are they with them? But that they're really nice. But in this one, <laughs> it's amazing because you're like, these people are both horrible. <laughs> they're both horrible all the way through. <laughs> and yeah, so it's it's really. <laughs> I recommend it. We'll have to see how the rest of this year shapes up, but I feel like that one's going to still find me at the uh, top 10 at the end of the year, but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, it definitely is a movie that is going to stay with me for a little while. Do you have anything else you want to talk about other movies that are out there that might have stayed with you for a while? Uh, Yeah, there's a couple, but uh, I I did see this movie uh, about fear. Okay. I think you went and tried to see it in the, uh, tried to see it in the theater. Oh, we're going to talk about that one. Sure. Um, and I may yeah, have mentioned talk about this that as, one. I may have mentioned this in our last episode, but, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, our good old pal, uh, Ari Aster, who people may know from the horror film Hereditary and uh, which was sort of a folk horror. And then the other folk horror movie did Midsommar, um, which a lot of people love. It, he, I guess, got to make another film and, you know, it's his third feature. His third feature, and A24 kind of gave him carte blanche and uh, a big budget, and he made <laughs> I, he made a just dark, dark film called uh, Bo is Afraid. Um, I don't know. I think A24 was like, I don't even know how we're going to market this movie. Um, so I don't think they market it correctly. But How much did they spend on it? Do you know? I, I want to say that it's a $30 million movie. I, that sounds about right. Yeah, I mean, based on what's on screen, and but it's three hours. It's impossible to to, to encapsulate the plot into a pitch, like in advertising. Like, you should go see it because you know, here's the hook. Well, there's there's no hook in this movie. I think the hook was supposed to be like people will go see it because it's an Ari Aster film. That's what I think A24 thought. and Or either that or they just are this very rare, I don't know how they done it or came it, that they just are like, we want to deliver certain types of films. Like We have a brand and, yeah. and we're going to put out a film that we feel like the artist is important and they might have something interesting to say and maybe the longevity of the film might be more important than the box office results. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, can the film earn out over a lifetime at $30 million? Yeah, it probably can, actually. Yeah, worldwide, it made $10 bucks. Okay. So, you know, but it's- Got $20 it's, million to go in advertising and such. Well, I, I don't think they did a lot of advertising, but- They used their everywhere, everything, all at once money to help. <laughs> they, they did. They did. But you asked me a question about, 
about the theater. Yeah. You know, so it was coming out and I, I felt like, I don't know if it's going to be any good or not. And I really didn't know much about it. It was just Bo was afraid. Some, and that was really all. I didn't know much except for what the trailer did offer it. I would say you are an Ari Aster fan. Well, I liked Midsommar. I didn't like so much as Director's Cut. I think in that case, it was a less is more. Uh, Hereditary, okay. I think I liked it more than you did, but I didn't really yeah. fall in love with that one. Right. But you think he's, he's worth watching because he's doing something interesting, which is kind of how I feel about him. I think that any anybody that's doing anything interesting, I want in. And so I thought, you know what? I know Teal's not going to go r- rushing out, but I, I want to see this. So I try to go see it in the theater. And I go, and it was just me, all right? And I knew I'm going to be in for this three hours. I don't know what, what it's going to be. And I'm in the theater, sitting down. There's a you know, good 15, 20 people there to see it too. And most of the people there were kids going to see the super mario brothers movie the big smash okay right <laughs> and the film it's like finally get through all of these trailers right that are that are on and the you know the regal cinema like shows you literally 25 minutes of trailers and you're just like oh great so now i'm seeing a three and a half hour movie in a sense and finally we get down and we're like okay we're gonna start this film we're gonna watch it suddenly Lights come on and sirens blaze, and there was a fire in the popcorn machine in the theater, and we all had to clear out and wait for the fire department. And essentially, because of the fire, they got it out, but the smell in there, they were going to have to, they had to cancel all the shows, and I got a <laughs> refund ticket. Didn't even get my cash. I had to, you know, I got to see something at a later date. And of course, right. this was an hour away, and it, this has never happened. It oh, like, and so I'm like, I guess I don't get to see Bo is Afraid, and I had to wait to see it, you know, on demand. And uh, the funny thing about this story, and the reason I wanted you to retell it, is because it's like something out of the movie. It, it's like the kind of thing that happens to Bo over and over again throughout this movie. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't even know how to get into this other than this is how I'll frame it. So, sat down to watch this thing with my wife. She loves Ari Aster, so we're going to go in. And I had already seen it before you, I think. You did not. I don't think so. Did you? You did? I did. I didn't tell you, though. Fucking. I'm sorry, I tried to keep it uh, G here. Uh, I can't believe it, you bastard. I watched this thing with my wife and we watched the first half hour and it's just i mean it's pure insanity but then my youngest comes downstairs he's 11 and he he has a thing he has to wear glasses right for seeing anything other than walking and he comes down and he just squinting his eyes he sees something interesting going on in the screen and he just goes over to where he keeps his other set of glasses (laughs) for when he wants to watch tv and he studies slaps them on and he sits down he goes what this that's his like phrase. He goes, "What this?" <laughs> and we try to explain, and, and I'm like, "Well, you know, we we don't we don't look, we pre- we don't prevent we don't really our kids from know what anything. it is. We, yeah, we will let our kids watch anything because we yeah. do not we don't ban things in this family. <laughs> so you know, yeah, my my kids ban stuff themselves. Yeah, my and and my youngest does, but mostly because he's just not interested. He'll leave. Like he'll he'll watch twenty minutes or something, walk out. Well, damn it, yeah, if he didn't it, sit same there. Here. Yeah, he was so fascinated at what was going on screen. And he starts to piece this thing together and he's making interesting comments and he's in uh-huh. and we 
finally had to stop because we're like, well, if you want to watch the rest, we can watch the rest tomorrow. And he's like, oh, yeah. So he watched the whole thing. And then the next day I had to watch the first 35 minutes with him again because he hadn't seen that. And he didn't all those. We were telling him what happened, but then he got to see and he was picking up other things that happened later in the movies like, oh, but there's this and this and this. And he he was so fascinated by this film. And this is the shock. I was completely blown away by this movie. I yeah. I think it's really weird. I wouldn't say it's ever going to be like one of my favorite films. However, from right now, this movie might be hard to beat as to me the best film of the year because when I when I just went through my whole BFI experience and the kind of right. different approaches of film language, this movie closely mirrors the kind of films that were put on this list because it ain't just a regular movie. This guy is giving me something else. <laughs> well, and and it has you know the narrative uh, structure of almost of a picaresque, right? Where you you have this character who's going from point A to point B and sort of meandering through uh, their own psyche on the way there. Uh, that's externalized and metaphorized in different ways. And, uh, you know, he sees a play about maybe about his life or a life that's similar to his. He And so uh, he is taken in by the suburban family. Uh, there, there's sort of all these episodes as it moves towards, uh, well, this sort of final confrontation that's set up right from the first couple of scenes i rewatched parts of the movie i thought okay i'm just gonna watch the first few minutes just to see like what i missed in the opening that ties in later and i was sucked in and i watched the first 35 minutes (laughs) and i i think the first 30 minutes of this movie is absolutely brilliant i don't know i may need to watch the film even a third time but what's keeping it for me from being at the top of my list right now is, and I, I understand we disagree on this. For me, it doesn't stick the landing 100%. And the reason for that is my own personal issue, which is, uh, and I'll, I'm willing to admit this is my issue, it gets too Freudian. And I have an issue with Freudian narratives, which is that they're too much like puzzles for me and they get away from the emotion. And so by the end of the film, it's a little too puzzly for me and not enough emotion. And so I start, I get a little too intellectual towards the end of the movie. And that's why it didn't totally stick for me. That said, I'm open to having that experience on a repeated viewing. Well, a couple of things. And my wife, you know, this is a thing we couldn't stop talking about. We, we like several days later, we went out, um, we had to go do something and we had lunch afterwards, um, just the two of us. And we found ourselves just talking about this film. And that doesn't happen that often where it's just no. sticking in our brain. We've had dreams about it, um, maybe even yeah. nightmares. And this is why this movie is, I would say, if we take the number 100 and we put that as percentages, I would yeah. say that this movie is not for about 95% of people. I, I would agree. I do not recommend this movie to 
anyone who did not enjoy Midsommar. There's definitely some Ariaster sort of dark humor that flows through. Yeah, that's what I'm telling you. About. Like just in terms of tone, you, you kind of have to get this guy's sensibility, and it's a little off, and it's not uh, not going to appeal to everyone. I, I I see a lot of people getting very frustrated and giving up on this movie pretty early on. And maybe you know what? And maybe we're not giving people benefit of the doubt. Here's but so maybe I'm going to help an audience maybe a little bit here. Yeah. This is what you have to know going in. Uh, ordinary films, even when extraordinary weird things happen, most films that are set up like this would have, and it's funny because after this, I went back and rewatched, and we rewatched with our youngest because he was so interested in Bo is Afraid. We watched Under the Silver Lake with him. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. They're, so they're similar kind of movies. Right. But here's the difference. The difference is, is that we are tasked in that film to try to distinguish reality from from the unreliable narrator's point of view absolutely yeah that's a puzzle in itself trying to unlock that but there are there are stuff that is grounded enough in the real mm-hmm. world and then stuff that's fantasy and how much is always up for interpretation in that film but yeah. this film is different in that there isn't an ounce of this movie that a person could put a stake in the ground and said, well, this is real. Or this isn't real. Or this isn't real. The, there's a journey, but what I've always loved, I love films that are like dreams. And of course, that's why yeah. I like David Lynch movies. A lot of them are very dreamlike and a lot of them are very focused in that. And this film is one of the, top films that I've ever seen that take you in. Not that I've had dreams like this, but this idea that when you're in a dream and it's an epic dream that goes from all these places, the dream seems real and things that don't make sense at all make sense because it's a dream. Right. Yeah. And when people and characters that show up and they're doing things and there's horrible things and you try to somehow get out of it and you get to the next thing and other bad things happen, everything, and you're describing a dream you could describe this movie and the way you describe it to somebody else might sound like you're telling them some crazy dream you had absolutely well like there's this animated sequence uh in the middle of the film it's a brilliant sequence and it's sort of uh told with a voiceover and it's tied to this play he's watching and of course the animation because it's animated we know it's not real right um (laughs) i guess but then it sort of blends into what we think of as the reality of the film and to me it doesn't matter whether the animated sequence is real or not i i sort of i sort of gave up on trying to define those things in this film and just took everything as as metaphoric, as symbolic, as part of this character's exploration, but I didn't, I didn't get concerned over what was real or not. I didn't try to puzzle that out uh, because I didn't think it really mattered what was, how much was in his perception. I don't think the film is a, is asking that question. Whereas Under the Silver Lake, I feel like is asking that question. I don't. I'm not saying I think the film is asking this or not asking it. Is that an, as an audience going into a movie? We bring those questions in usually, yes. and so most people are not ready to then get a film where the language of the film is, oh, well, I'm just taking classic journey structure, but I'm putting it into this world that 
is kind of it folds in on itself like that i guess like it's mm-hmm. brain because so much of the details of this movie show up in other ways later in ways that they couldn't possibly like he couldn't have advanced knowledge so right it, it's about like there's just it's like imagine if somebody has issues which clearly this person does what <laughs> what are the issues that he's trying to work out in his brain um and and this is a film where nothing really goes right for it i mean every fear that this person yeah. has like i guess if it's so somebody i don't have massive anxiety but maybe it's an interesting portrayal about what it's like to have massive anxiety like he felt like a guy who was a agoraphobic he's just really damaged and traumatized and never overcame basically this thing his mother told him about himself he he never was able to move beyond that and sort of take a claim over his own life and take responsibility for himself he he's still sort of whining about his mother and and yes, a total bundle of anxiety. It all, that first 30 minutes when he's uh, in his apartment and he's trying to get the water across the street and all that stuff, that is uh, that is such a good portrayal of anxiety. And like, do these people, you know, okay, does the street crowd into his apartment? I think yes, right? Like to me, that's not a question. Like, yes, it's a, I don't. It's a perfect example of his anxiety and his fears, but to me, it actually comes true. It's not just in his head. See, this is another thing. This movie doesn't let you off the hook at the end saying, oh, it was all a dream, like kind of like a Wizard of Oz, right? There was a beginning that's real. Then she goes into this fantasy. And at the end, oh, everything you experienced was a right. dream, but that people incorporated. That's sort of like that structure because people want to know, oh, what I just saw was a yes. dream. And then they get pissed. Instead, this is entire thing is all dreamlike. See, I have dreams that are like this where like, and it kind of reminded me of Darren Aronofsky's mother in a way where, you know, yeah. the, the, she wanted to have the house to herself and she couldn't because everybody keeps coming in and there's more interruptions. And every time she's trying to get things the way she wants, something else happens. And yeah. this happens to Bo. And I, I, I think about, see, we're, we're leaving a lot of stuff out because we don't like to have spoilers. Uh, the movie is hilarious in a very dark sense. And there's a lot of yes. great comedy, but he ends up, in this family that someone has run him over and now instead of going to the hospital he's in the house (laughs) of this amazing surgeon and this guy is going to take him to his mother's home which is he has to get there and i don't want to tell you all the reasons why the premise of the movie is he's trying to get home to his mother but every time he's about to so he's this guy's gonna get him home but then oh he gets his phone call and he has to go and perform a surgery and right. <laughs> that's a classic thing that happens. I don't know. I can't speak for everybody else, but it happens in my dreams a lot. I call them non-completion dreams. And right, yeah. I have a task and things keep getting in the way of me getting to that goal, whatever the task is. And sometimes the adventures are really absurd. Another non-completion dream film that just popped into my head when you said that is uh, Eyes Wide Shut. One of my favorites. Again and again, he has these opportunities uh, with women to potentially have sex with them. And every single time it's interrupted. Yeah, I love that. So I think that it, this movie appeals to me for that those reasons. Absolutely. Yeah. And this, uh, it, the, I think this movie for a large portion of it for me was an absolute masterpiece. 
that I won't recommend to people. <laughs> well, I think that like a lot of, you know, when we talk about that ending, like, I guess I wasn't disappointed by what happens at the end only because I didn't really buy any of it as real. So I didn't think the ending was real. And I kind of felt like I've seen enough of these types of films now. And again, the BFI 250 that yeah. one thing sometimes about a really great film, they don't always have as you say, that stick the landing ending. And I don't think the ending is always as important to the, the filmmaker. I think the very ending, the very, very ending does stick. The last half hour of that movie I love. Okay. That's the part that I didn't love. Oh man. I can't, we can't talk about it because I don't want to spoil anything. But because you loved it, I am going to watch it again. It was to me that like, see everything in this movie I didn't know what I was going to get next. So I wasn't expecting the stuff. And the the part to me with the Parker Posey. Yes. There's a little bit of Ari Aster stuff into that. But I just, I mean, we were just <laughs> dying, dying with that. Because what's really funny is that my 11-year-old, he understands everything about sex and all that stuff. He just is very uncomfortable with it. And yes. he will look away. And we're trying to train him when you watch films that there may be, this isn't just gratuitous. There's a reason why right. the sex scene is happening and that you got to pay attention. And man, like what happens in that sex scene is this the greatest thing. <laughs> It's the greatest thing. But then what happens afterwards, I wasn't quite expecting that was going to happen. Yeah, no, wasn't expecting that. It, it, it definitely, <laughs> w without necessarily putting a bow on it, uh, I mean, <laughs> sorry, Bo, it's funny that his name is Bo, which is, uh, you know, uh, uh, what mother names their child boyfriend. Right. Oh, right. Well, there's this very <laughs> sort of bizarre kind of uh, incestual sort of relationship which she has. It's Oedipal. Yeah, it, it, like in, in mythologically, there there is definitely uh, a tie into the Odyssey here. There's e <laughs> there's even a Cyclops at the end. Well, I think that he actually is on record as saying that he kind of referenced the Odyssey is in making okay. the film. This is a film that really does not only commands attention to all the details, and there's so many crazy, amazing yeah. details. But once you've seen the film. I really recommend going right back and watch the beginning because a lot of the things that happen at the end of the film, they're all callbacks to stuff that we saw in the first half hour that we would have no idea. Yeah, and watching that first half hour again really opened up the film for me because there's so many things that happen that you don't... I think this happens in all films, right? But this one in particular, the first act, there's all sorts of stuff going on and you're just kind of trying to find your footing in it. Uh, but when you watch it again, you realize how meticulous every little detail is uh, it, to, to build up towards what we're getting to in the third act. What, what, is, what is clear is that Ari Aster now with this third film, to me, is a true filmmaking original. Like this guy, he has yes. a command on how to make a film. And I, I feel like the movie got released. It didn't do well but it's it's on its route to cult status and possible evaluation as a masterpiece definitely on its route. i mean i can't imagine how i didn't see any trailers or anything but i but i, I the marketing for this movie did not make me want to see it it was just it's ari aster and i want to, but he's not a household name people aren't going out to see movies because it's ari aster well, you know what? We're not a household name. We're here for those who are interested <laughs> in movies to a different degree. Um, so, you know, uh, 
you know, yeah, we're about the, I'd say 95% of the population isn't going to listen to us. But that 5% that does is who we were after as an audience. So this picaresque structure in, in, uh, in Bo is Afraid reminded me of Lindsay Anderson's Oh Lucky Man, starring Malcolm McDowell, I think from 1971? Uh, 73. 73, okay. Um, and, and it's it, it's a similar narrative structure in which you have a, 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 a guy sort of going through a series of dreamlike episodes. It, it the point A and point B are not as defined, but he is kind of moving forward. But as a character, he's the exact opposite of Bo. He's got like he's just kind of happy-go-lucky. He's a little cheery. He has no anxieties or fears, uh, and he's just sort of bumbling through this very surreal adventure that becomes kind of political. In our first season of stuff we've seen, yeah, we talked about a movie. Sorry to bother you. Sorry to bother you. Yeah. Sorry about and and when we were gonna talk about that, you said, "I want you to see this movie, Oh Lucky Man," and I had wanted to see it for a long time, and I hadn't been able to see it, and so I watched it, and I got what the connection was. <laughs> um, yeah. And then I knew when we were gonna talk about this, you were like, "We should," you know. I thought it was interesting that you said that you found a connection to that movie, and I and I couldn't quite remember why you had a connection between Bo was afraid and Oh Lucky Man until I you know, took on to rewatch it. Yeah. Um, and I had forgotten a lot of the details because again, the scene set up sort of like a dream where one thing goes to another and another. And I, and you're not quite sure how he got there. Right. <laughs> after yeah, a while. You can't figure out. And I had the same sensation in Bo was afraid. I was like, wait a minute. Did I suddenly he's here and this is going on? Like where did the transition happen? But I had forgotten about the connection to sorry to bother you. And then that scene came in, and I'm, and, I, and I was that that caught me by the surprise. I wasn't caught by surprise the first time, only because I was waiting for a connection, and then I could kind of sense where it was coming. But this time, I was totally caught by surprise. <laughs> and then, as I started watching this film, A Lucky Man again, I really was taken by the similarities in a way to Bo Was Afraid. Yeah, they're they're structurally similar. I think they're getting at two very different sort of philosophical ideas. Maybe um, a lucky man is more political than psychological, um, but it's still like the Helen Mirren character has a really interesting sort of psychological makeup, and he, he's a little bit obsessed with her. Well, anybody who watches this movie is going to be obsessed. Oh my god, the young Helen Mirren. Oh yeah. Maron, <laughs> but but also super charismatic. Like you yeah, just, you can't take your eyes off her. She's just a, a great screen presence. A great, and even uh, she comes in when the band is playing early on, and like gives them drinks. I love that. Then I think that's the introduction to. Well, I mean, that's the other thing. There's this it, throughout the movie. It cuts to this band playing. And uh, he does meet up with them at some point. They become characters in the film, and then they go off and play more music. Well, there's a there's a little tie in there too because I, I I'm fascinated by this. Is that I always knew that the song "Oh Lucky Man." Then there's another song in there yeah. that 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 I know. This guy Alan Price is the guy who wrote and sang that song. Yeah. Th this is his band. Well, this guy Alan Price, he plays the keyboards. He was the keyboardist for the Animals. And he is the keyboardist on House of the Rising Sun. No kidding. That's cool. 
that's who that guy is. And okay. they even call him Alan in the movie. Like it's his band. Yeah. We don't, they don't have a name necessarily in the movie, but like what Lindsay Anderson, the director, he uses them in these in-between spots, almost like a Greek chorus until they actually yes. come in as characters. And just in those studio scenes, like the, just like, I don't know, there's just something about the cinematography of the movie that I, I really like too. And the film also plays off a little bit like Monty Python at the time. It's absurd. And yeah, there, it has that, that sort of humorous touch to it in some way, like the, the, the weird sort of dark humor of, I don't know, just these characters that are, that are very official maybe, or the way they behave. Yeah. Sorry. I lost my thought. Go ahead. I'll go, I'll go ahead all day. Um, <laughs> you know, there's just like, like all, there's just weird little things that like he's given this, this like cool suit to wear. And then of course it gets all <laughs> ruined. And then Helen Mirren's going to like, you know, clean it up for him. And he's like, well, you got to be careful of that. And she's like, it's nylon. <laughs> like, yeah. He's like, it's gold threads. Yeah. He's like, it's <laughs> nylon. And, uh, but, but there's something about like when he has the suit on, it almost makes him look indestructible. And, and he just gets beat up over and over again. And just sort of moseys on from one thing to the next. There's this incredible sequence where he comes into a church. <laughs> oh my God. <that's laughs> oh, yeah. You you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's so bizarre. It's so bizarre. Yeah, the woman's like, you can't touch that. That's God's food. <laughs> and and he's like, oh, sorry. And then she comes over and breastfeeds him. It, it's it's <laughs> This movie has a lot of ideas. And it, I mean, it's a weird thing where it actually almost it breaks down on itself until it evolves into auditions set up for yes. the movie If, which is how Lindsay Anderson came to work with Malcolm McDowell in the first place. And Malcolm McDowell used to tell him stories about how he was a coffee salesman. Exactly. Well, the movie is based on an idea by Malcolm McDowell. Yeah. And there's a whole stock of actors in the movie that show up throughout the film in different roles, but they're different enough and they are dressed different enough that you have to scratch your head and say, wait a minute, did I just see them before? I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. But there's but there's some actors that have like five roles in this movie. Some are just one or two. Some are, yeah, but between one and five roles per actor. And, <laughs> and then at the end, he goes into the auditions for If. He gets chosen by Lindsay Anderson and they just have a big party. And all the characters from the movie are at this big dance party at the end. There's one one problem that I have with the film, and I had it, I think, the first time, and it bought, is at the very beginning, there there's something that I felt was like a little racist. Oh, I must have missed that. Okay. Well, he's he's dressed up like uh, like a migrant worker, in and he's in you know in migrant face, I guess. Oh, I get okay. Yeah, good point. <laughs> and it, and it, but that's a bad way to start the film because I think a lot of people are like, yeah. "What the frick yeah. is this? I'm not watching this." But then it then you know then it's offensive in many other ways afterwards. <laughs> it it fine, is but. yes, it is. Um, uh, there's a whole there's a whole sequence I won't get into, but yes, it it's offensive in many other ways. It's a critique of capitalism. It's a critique of I mean, <laughs> critique of colonialism. <laughs> Yeah, he. There's this great part where he goes to prison and he's reformed, right? And he comes out and he's like, "I want to help people. It's all about the brotherhood of man and goodwill, and we've got to trust in humanity." And he's <laughs> he's giving this whole speech to this crowd, and uh, as he's giving the speech, they're they're pickpocketing him. <laughs> 
and it's, it's just this great moment of like, yes, the Brotherhood of Man, and they're like going through his pockets. <laughs> yeah, there's, a, I mean, there's a lot of ideas in this film. There is packed with ideas, and but again, this is a film that I don't uh, recommend to ordinary audiences. I maybe I recommend it to our audience, um, but I do feel like it, it has a place in film history. It's probably very rarely seen. Uh, some people have referred to it as a spiritual sequel to a clockwork orange i actually get that i understand that yeah and that this is alex out, out in the world trying to get a job and make something of himself uh so i so i get that sort of but it's it's a movie that i do, i do think people film fans need to have in their repertoire well i think it's one of those films that you could be a big film fan but you could have easily missed this one. Yes, absolutely, and it, it, it's it, it's on the uh, it's on the bucket list. I think uh, it's such an interesting film. So, what were some of the other similarities you found between uh, Oh Lucky Man and Bo is Afraid? Aside from the fact that they're both three hours long, <laughs> right, <laughs> and that they're both sort of a picker, a surreal picaresque. Yeah, you know, one of the things again, maybe you didn't pick this up. I don't know. Uh, in your rewatch of Bo is Afraid, but where, where a film collapses on itself, meaning like the end goes right into the beginning and it kind of like yes. time is different where now you're really in this entire state of mind. There's this collage image of his mother at the mother's house. Yes. And it's made up of all of the people that have worked for her. Yes. And the majority of those people have been seen throughout the film. All the people mm-hmm. you encountered and all the ga- the people that storm his apartment, everybody's in there. So you're left with the fact that everything that's even gone at the beginning, there's this weird paranoia that his mom has surrounded him all his life. It's She's in every facet. She's listening in every interaction, all his fears, all these people, they're all somehow connected to his mom. The people that rescue him supposedly from the accident that they caused by hitting right. him in the part, they're there. Everybody's there. Also, at the beginning of this part, like he was the poster boy for yes, literal, her products. Literal the, boy. Yeah. yeah, he was literally in all these products and stuff. And, you know, things that you don't notice at the beginning, all of these products, these um, yes. M- M- MW products. It's yeah. know, Mona Wasserman. That's his mom's name. And, uh, you know, there's a lot to do. And I, again, I'm giving you hints, but there's a lot to do in this movie about water. And there is a lot that happens at the beginning of water and throughout the interesting thing is that his name is Wasserman, which in yeah. German means water. And yes. he goes at the end to where his mother's house is, and it's in Wassertown, Watertown. Yes, and again, like I said, so I think that this ending that involves water, there's 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 hints to it at the very beginning, little glimpse and you'll miss it type stuff. So I don't know if I take... What happens at the end is a, is a finite thing to him, but right, and I don't even know what it all means. I'm just saying that these are things that are planted throughout this movie that are purposeful, and I just don't see that many filmmakers going to this level that he does. Right to have something this tightly integrated, but at the same time. I feel like everything is tied up, but it's not tied up because I can't fit it all in my head. But but that if I really took the time with it, every element would line up uh, in a way that makes sense. I, I saw an interview with Nathan Lane 
And he was asked about some of these things. <laughs> and he said, I don't think anyone besides Ari and his therapist can tell you exactly what this film means. <laughs> I would agree with that. Yeah. And, and he it was interesting. Also, he had some takes on his character that differed from Ari Aster's takes on the character. Uh, it, it doesn't affect the performance, but like it, Nathan Lane had a different backstory for his character uh, than Ari Aster had imagined. And, you know, so it, th there's even the actors were sort of trying to sort through this and make sense of it. Uh, I'd, I'd be really fascinated to hear Walking Phoenix talk about it because I think it's a kind of an amazing performance. This guy always will pick interesting projects. This guy, Walking Phoenix, he, he he really isn't just like, oh, Walking Phoenix is doing this type of role. You just don't know what this guy's going to do next. He's, yeah, and before you know it, he's going to be playing Napoleon. Oh yeah, for Ridley Scott. I saw that trailer. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I think so I. I recommend Bo is Afraid and A Lucky Man to our listeners who want three-hour movies that challenge them. There are three movies that we've mentioned that could could end up on my top 10 list at the end of the year. One yeah. is Asteroid City. The other is Sick of Myself. And the third is Bo is Afraid. And I'm telling you here right now, don't know where it's going to end uh, at the at the end of the year, but it will be on my top 10. There's no way that's not going to be on it. I just, I'm a champion of that film though it's not an easy film i'm gonna wait until i watch that third act again and then really make my determination but uh i sick of myself definitely one of my favorite movies of the year so far asteroid city absolutely gotta go see it indiana jones the dial of destiny look if you're a diehard like myself you're gonna see it and it's just it's it's not bad enough to not like but it's not good enough to really recommend it's just meh. And an Indiana Jones movie sh shouldn't be meh. <laughs> no, they should be fun. There isn't as much fun in this. Yeah. No, I mean, that's the whole thing with Indy. It's supposed to be fun. Like, I think that the, the opportunity that was missed was that probably in the early 90s, it would have been great to have had another Indiana Jones movie. Did you ever see the young Indiana Jones TV show? Never watched it. It was really good. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I only have plans to see two more movies in the theater this summer. I want to take a guess, and it's going to be a double bill, baby. Oppenheimer and Barbie. No. Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer, definitely. Oh, I, okay. I know. Two movies. Sorry. I figured that your kids were going to make you go see Barbie for some strange reason. I, I've never seen a marketing blitz like this. They're making it so like you have to see this movie, and I have to applaud somebody in the marketing because this movie should be a tank, but yet it's going to be a huge hit. It's got... Yeah. So I might end up seeing that, but you're going to see Mission Impossible. Yes, I am. I am too. I'm, I'm going to see that this weekend. Yeah. I'm seeing that Friday, and then I'm going to see Oppenheimer, and I don't know. Maybe there's one or two that I'm not really aware of yet, but those are the ones I have plans for. Yep. I'm definitely going to see those two in the theater, and maybe, maybe Barbie, but I don't know. Is there anything else coming out in August? I don't even know. I don't even know. I haven't really, I don't, I don't, yeah. I'm, I'm just looking forward to the fall already. Yeah, I mean, I can't wait for uh, Scorsese's Flowers of the Killer Moon. Exactly. That should be good. But uh, I guess the next time, be prepared, kids. We'll be talking Oppenheimer. Yes, we will. That we have to talk about. And Mission Impossible. So let's just let's, let's put that on the books. Let's talk about Oppenheimer and Mission Impossible on the next episode. Sounds cool. I'll be there. All right, kids. Don't be afraid. Be Bo is afraid. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>